Welcome to the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. Maximize your leadership potential and professional advancement and be inspired. We're delighted to be your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development from a women in business perspective. We share our original research, explore industry and workforce trends, and interview female executives, allies, and thought leaders from across the globe. Join us for practitioner-oriented content around all things women in business, leadership challenges, talent management, organizational development, change management, and diversity and inclusion. Welcome to the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. In this WBIL podcast episode, Angela Schill and I talk with Sylvia Castro about the biggest challenges facing Utah's economic ecosystem. Sylvia Castro, welcome to the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. Thank you for having me here. I'm really excited um, to be part of your podcast. I actually have been a big fan of some of your past podcasts. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. It is a pleasure to have you. You're a busy woman, very accomplished, and we appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to meet with us and share of your experience and expertise uh, with us. I'm joined by Angela Schill, my co-host on this episode. And today we're going to be talking about the biggest challenges Facing Utah's economic ecosystem in 2023 and beyond. As we get started, I wanted to share Sylvia's bio with everybody. Sylvia Castro has spent more than 20 years as an executive in nonprofit government and for profit organizations. Her past experience includes working with other executives and business owners from Fortune 500 companies, the state of Utah, Salt Lake County, and the Salt Lake City area, as well as forward looking nonprofits such as Swaso Business Center. Utah Micro Enterprise Loan Fund, the Austin Project in Austin, Texas, and Goldman Sachs 10K Small Business Program. Her love for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship began in 1999 when she worked as the Assistant Director of the Women's Business Center of Utah. And I could go on and on, uh, but I'm going to pause there. I'm going to give you a chance now to provide any additional details or background that you would like to share with the audience, and then we'll dive on into the conversation. Um, so I think they, especially when it comes to kind of economic development, um, they, a few things I will probably add on, it was actually, I was part of the transition committee for Salt Lake City Mayor uh, Mendenhall, and I was a co-chair for her economic development strategy. I was also part of the governor for the state of Utah, the governor's economic task force, and I'm planning, um, I'm in a few committees that really we look at planning, we look at transportation, we look at some of the things that are affecting Utah in the next 20 to 30 years. Um, I am proud to be also part of the Envision Utah um, committee and being able to look at that. Um, With my work at the Swaso Business Center and working with the minority community in this economic development space, it has been also fascinating to kind of see Utah at a statewide level. And it's, it's incredibly fascinating to see all sorts of different potential, but it's slightly different depending on which area you're in. 
That's honestly, it's amazing to hear you speak and to look at your bio. There's more information than I, I don't know. How do you sleep at night with all that you have to do? Is there time for that? And you don't have to answer that question, but it's, it's amazing. You're a busy woman. Well, it's, oh, I, I guess one of the things I also forgot, I also serve on the Federal Reserve 12th District Community Advisory Council. And that's, I mean. <laughs> um, so it kind of looks into the economic policy. Um, and it has, frankly, we're, we're kind of living through historic times. And I don't know if some of us realize it. When it comes to economic policy, when it comes to some of the growth, um, growth, especially after COVID, Right. We're literally right. trying to do the best we know with completely new information that we really haven't experienced before. And it's it's a little bit kind of fascinating to kind of be in the middle of um, all sorts of different work. But um, as you know, like with the Federal Reserve, they li literally have only two levers. And this, as you know, we're kind of fighting between recession and stagflation. Um, it's it's kind of interesting in that regard um, because some it's not the exact same type of economic current. Um, a lot of what we're, we have an interesting just dynamic going on. So we have a supplier issue that began um, a little bit in 2020 and it has mm -hmm. only really gotten worse. Supplier issues have for one way or another, not getting better. We still have an incredible low unemployment rate, mm -hmm. which is hard because in one way, you know, it's great that the state has this great low unemployment rate. But on the other hand, you need people to grow. Right. You need, you need, so at all levels, across all industry, there's the exact same consistent issue. We can't fight people. It doesn't matter if it's a restaurant. It doesn't matter if it's insurance. It doesn't matter wherever you go. It's like, where did everybody go? Yeah, I mean, too high <laughs> unemployment's a problem, but we're really low. Uh, we have a problem with having enough people in the pool of candidates for open requisitions and positions. Uh, that's a real, real challenge for organizations. But to your point, it's also uh, a challenge for people who are looking uh, to develop and progress in their careers. Exactly. One of the statistics that was shared with actually a national group, um, we do some work uh, with this group out of Washington, D.C. called the Hispanic Federation. And one of the most interesting labor data they share with us was that the nation's un actually has at least, uh, has less than expected number of immigrants, that we're sure about 1 million of them. We're missing about 1 million of them that we thought we were going to get. And you can kind of see that too, like in the construction industry, you can see that in the medical industry, yeah. that um, there actually is, there's for all intents and purposes, even though news might, you know, say differently, the reality, when you look at the numbers and the trajectory is we have a lot less immigrants and that's an issue. When you talk about that, is this, you work in the economic development space, right? Mm -hmm. is, is this... What, what does that all entail? Like, this is a piece of it, but. So um, one of the things that you need people to grow, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it, it, when you look across different states, everybody prides themselves of being the best, like in terms of being able to 
uh, entice companies to move into that state and to grow. So you kind of have two things. It's you need for a comp for a state to continue to grow, you have to have a vibrant workforce. So Utah has kind of benefited in that, you know, we have always have this incredible birth rate that is one of the highest birth rates. So it, it's kind of like we have like this continued labor workforce that we continue to develop. But um, lately, um, that number, that birth rate number has started to go down. So for a state to continue to be vibrant, this is where they need immigrants. So immigrants could be, and I mean, from this perspective, an immigrant can be an immigrant from another country or from another state. Um, you're trying to, as you look at the different industries, you're trying to kind of entice people uh, from other states, or maybe you need a labor force with a specific skills, uh, software, uh, engineering. And there's just, I mean, he, we don't have enough engineers in the state, even though we have done so much, so much investment, we just don't have enough. We need to be able to attract them. But one of the issues lately is that we're competing more and more with other countries for that exact same labor pool. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that happened with the last presidential administration, it's a lot of this specialized labor when it came to immigration. So it's, they're called like H-1B visas. So these are very high level, um, incredibly professional, incredibly educated individuals whose visas did not get renewed. And it, was in, and it was interesting to see a lot of these folks getting picked up by other countries. Mm -hmm. They were getting picked up. They're like, okay, we want to stay here. We don't, you know, this is what I know as home, but I cannot renew my visa, I cannot stay. So next thing you know, they were getting phone calls from Australia, from Canada, oh. from other countries. And what's interesting is that they're, they're still staying there. This does play a little bit into, as you look at kind of the next 10, 20 years, is to ensure that you, this is why investment into, um, into also not just the, the, the people coming in from out of state to continue to grow, but also investment into the current workforce. So this is where investments into education. Okay, so let's, let's look at the current population, right? Are we investing in them? to be the employers or to be the future business owners or to lead the next next industry or you know the next thing. Are we expending enough money into these organizations, into schools, into pipelines in this area? And, and that has kind of been a big bag. Um, we still have some of the highest um, basically teacher to student ratios in public schools. We're also dealing with a teacher shortage. Um, it's not fun to be a teacher right now. <laughs> it's it, and everywhere. I mean, I don't know if you ever drive by schools, they cannot even find bus drivers. It's interesting, it's kind of all interrelated and we're a little bit, it's, it's almost like this perfect storm right now. And in some of the things that we're going to have to really kind of rethink how all this, um, you know, there's consequences to some of the things. Frankly, um, it's keeping the current teachers engaged in the system. A lot of them are leaving because frankly, the pay is not great. Mm -hmm. We ask for 
um, we don't really help them with student loans. We don't really encourage them to do that. And then they get into the classroom and it becomes a fight with the parents, right. which teachers are, which books are supposed to read versus not. And I'm like, I would, it's, it's hard work. Uh, it's not very well, um, not only well compensated, but also it's not really well respected. And that, that does take a toll. Um, and I know that, you know, some of the answers that have looked into charter schools, we have looked into private education, but I think not forgetting that there's kind of that, not only who is teaching our kids, but also everything is about, as we look at the future workforce, you go to any elementary school and you'll find something incredibly similar. A lot of those kids are majority minority. A lot of those kids are the workforce of the future. And again, the future employers too. Mm -hmm. And there really isn't much thought into how do we create a experience? How do we ensure that we invest into them? So we continue this economic growth. And one of the bigger issues, and I think that I find that I, I call the state of Utah the state of good intentions. And if good intentions were paid with money, well, we would all be rich. Um, but one of the things that always is missing, and this I think it kind of unfortunately speaks how homogeneous the state is, is that as these decisions are being made today in terms of education, in terms of health outcomes, in terms of economics, the folks that will be the workforce are not part of those conversations. Right. They're never, they're never even considered to be part of the conversations. It's never a thought. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of business one-on-one, right? If you want to serve a customer, shouldn't you understand them? Shouldn't you actually talk to them, understand their needs, their, um, what, what is, blocking their path what's going on um and frankly the state does not do a good job of having good minority data either mm -hmm. all the minority data that we have at state level is done at the federal level so we have to wait usually about every 10 years or ever so ever so often with the census that's their thing for us <clears> to really <throat> know what's going on so i think there is a bit of a concern in terms of um the, i I do get concerned that there's going to be a reckoning eventually where they, where even though some uh, decisions were made in terms of funding, in terms of prioritizing what's needed, that because we did not include everyone in that room that should have been included and actually made a thoughtful, educated decision instead of making assumptions, mm -hmm. I think that's going to be a big problem. Because even though I may be, you know, I may be one Latina, but I only represent a subsection of them you are working with. And there's a, an assumption that Latinos are kind of, uh, there's a lot of assumptions about Latinos that are not accurate. Right. And it kind of plays into those decisions. Um, there's an assumption that all of us are immigrants. Not accurate there's an assumption growth like actually a lot of latino and the latino population growth even in the state of utah is by birth is we have people because of the history 
of the state with the train in Ogden area that have been here, fourth, fifth, sixth generation. Um, I there's also even um, what I jokingly call undercover Latinos, <laughs> because sometimes um, they um, this way they're ethnic group. They could be Asian, they could be black, they could be white. Um, but there's some issues in terms of some commonalities depending on their experience, depending on um, it, it's a different culture. Um, but it's something that I, I think there's, we're still working with a lot of dated misconceptions and a, a lot of dated facts about what the population actually does. Um, but I do see a trend that we're consistently forgotten in any of those decisions. It's almost like it's, it's fascinating how sometimes every 10 years when the census comes around, they're like, oh, you guys are still here. Yes, we're still here. We haven't left. Um, but um, I think it's going to be very short-sighted, especially when it comes to those economic decisions. Can I ask, you've talked about education and the important role that that plays. And I suppose this will be part, that's partly the answer to my next question. But as an executive in Utah's business community, what particular pieces of advice would you have for young people looking to join the ranks of Utah business? Of course, that can include the Latinx community, um, but for anyone generally uh, and and for women as well. You know, it's, it's interesting because I would actually have, there's advice I would give a woman versus a man, especially in Utah. Um, because I think I kind of call it a twofer. Unfortunately, when you are both a minority and a woman, you, you're dealing with two different things. Um, for, you know, one of the things that we're unfortunately known for in Utah is we have one of the widest um, wage, wage gaps when it comes to, uh, to women. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's actually the one that is even worse is the one that is the Latinas. Latinas actually get 50 cents of the dollar in Utah. So... For, um, in general, for like I would I say for a Latino professional, frankly is um, I think nowadays it's a lot easier to find. Um, you know, I wish I had more of that when I was younger, but there's a lot of incredible, powerful Latino professionals in all sorts of different fields now. They're really uh, more accessible. And I think it's always helpful to kind of understand because the reality is we have to do things differently because the expectations are different. Um, also, the way um, the culture works, um, and frankly, one of my, some of my biggest mentors, some of the, my, some of my biggest advocates have actually been white men, and they have been incredible, and to me, it's like when you look for mentors, um, just look at, sometimes people don't know that they can be mentors, um, they don't understand. So this is where I would say be more proactive into finding a variety of mentors, variety of advisors in terms of just kind of getting different perspective, um, getting different perspective on some of the work I even do today has been so incredibly helpful, so incredibly fascinating and has really helped me to kind of navigate um, some of the committees I'm in. Um, because one of the things, one of the questions I get asked by um, a lot of college kids, and when I talk to them, it's about imposter syndrome. Yeah. So one of the questions is the question was, um, how do you get rid of it? Hello. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, and it was the most fascinating question because I kind of I looked at her and said, I 
I wish I could tell you, and this is like in my own personal experience, I wish I could tell you it goes away. You just, I don't, it doesn't quite go away. It just becomes smaller. Um, with like some of the committees I have sat on that I'm currently sitting on, frankly, I felt like an imposter. Even though I've been doing this for over 20 years, I was, I felt like an imposter. And my advice was, you know, think of it as when you feel like an imposter, it means that you're doing the right thing. It means that you're in a space that might be new to you, but uh, it might make you feel uncomfortable, but it means that you're pushing yourself and you're actually, it actually means you're doing something right. I love that. Because like, seriously, it's, um, and I, you know, eventually maybe uh, as I get older, I think people, um, it, it might get smaller and smaller. Um, but the reality is I, I still struggle with it. And it's, it's, I wish I could say it goes away, but personally, that has not been my experience. In spite of that, you know, imposter syndrome comes from a place of maybe sometimes just fear. And yet you chose to get involved in Utah's small business community and you chose this path. And I'm wondering what were your, what were the drivers and the, the passion inside of you that got you to overcome that fear to be as involved as you are in such important work and, and addressing these really important issues? Um, to be honest, frankly, it was not something I sought after. I, I think it's mainly because, frankly, small business work is incredibly rewarding. It's incredibly rewarding to be able to work with that individual that has a dream. And it's funny because you get to be part of that dream when you get to help and advise them, try to get that dream going. It's you kind of it's you take a little bit of that experience. And when I saw people that I was helping um, succeed and then more other people succeed. And I think what's amazing is to see some of those exact same people still in business after 20 years. That is so cool. Um, that it's, I was a little bit part of that journey. It was amazing. Uh, so I almost like I got to live a little bit vicariously through them in some regards. And I got to do it more, you know, not just with my, I had my, I have had my own business too, but I kind of, you know, I kind of got to multiply that because I got to help other people and I got to live vicariously through them a little bit through all of that. That was amazing. And one of the things I found is that, um, that was actually key, became very clear, especially during COVID, is small businesses did not really have a voice. So even though um, it was, I kind of was brought in to talk about kind of some of the minority impact, I also became a voice for small businesses because frankly, they were the hardest hit and the most direct hit when, um, when COVID happened. And there wasn't, um, unfortunately, there wasn't enough people in that community that were, part, again, part of the decision-making process when things were being trying to figure it out, unless we were looking at data and everything, but they were too far removed from that experience. They did not know um, what was going on, what was happening. So it's frankly, it's, uh, it's the idea of giving a voice and also sharing that perspective that kind of put them in some, those places. Um, uh, then there's been some times where I come in and I'm getting intimidated. One of the biggest intimidation factors is frankly kind of being, even though I have lived in Utah most of my life, like the majority of my life, um, 
I'm still seen as an other. And it makes it, especially when it comes to some of the decision-making groups, it's, they all know each other. They all know each other since they were kids. It's, and that's what sometimes is intimidating because there's, um you know, there's this rapport, there's this knowledge, there's this, hey, how's your father doing? How's your uncle doing? How's your brother doing? I don't have that. Um, and it's kind of, it's, it's, um, it can get intimidating too, to kind of come in and try to develop the relationships basically from zero. Um, and it's, it was fascinating to me, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm going to age myself in this one. Um, you know, there's like, what is that? The Kevin Bacon game, right? How many people to somebody else until you get the Kevin Bacon? And usually people say there's like a seven, seven Kevin Bacons. Get there. In Utah, it seems like it's three. You can get to anyone in Utah with three people. <laughs> Seriously, I'm like every, like, oh, and I have tried, I have actually played this game with a few people. And every time we're like, yep, we got there in three. Wow. Uh, because it's, um, you know, Utah is also a great state. People like to stay here. Um, people don't like to leave. Even if they leave, they come back. Mm -hmm. um, so people are consistent and they're a constant. The only thing that changes is their titles, but they're always here. Yeah, I think all of that is is fantastic perspective. And it just speaks to the need for us to challenge assumptions, as you've mentioned, also to to open up our social circles to be more inclusive uh, so that we you know it's not necessarily intentional um, that people are closed off into these bubbles and these these groups it, it's just kind of a natural way that human beings interact with each other and socialize but it, we can disrupt it to allow more opportunity and equal opportunity to others which is what I hear you speaking to so it's just really important for us to recognize, when that's happening so that we can bring other people along and include them in those conversations and the opportunities and uh, so that we can help them develop individually, but also help our organizations, our businesses, the economy as a whole exactly. thrive in the state. Um, so one of the most fascinating things that, because it's just frankly diversity of thought, diversity of just being inclusive, um, not just gender, not just race, but just gender of just in terms of what are you trying to accomplish? And uh, I always, it's like, if you're affecting a different group of people, they should probably should be sitting as part of that decision, right? Um, spending, I have been spending a lot of time lately in Washington County in St. George, and it's fascinating because coming from Salt Lake, hearing uh, folks from St. George just call, well, you know, you people up north. And everything is you people up north. <laughs> And it, it was funny. It was fascinating because they had they have a completely different culture there. Yeah. If you look at economic policy, economic decisions, they're a completely different game. And um, and sometimes I think we forget that that you know it's almost like um, when we think of Utah, we always think of the Wasatch Front. Um, and but then there is so many different microeconomies. There's so many different micro things going on throughout the state. And sometimes we forget that what's going on in Cache Valley and Box in Cache County and Box Elder is fascinating too. But um, sometimes we, you know, it's decisions are made in Salt Lake and we don't take that into account. Right. right. And I think uh, it's, mm -hmm. I, I'm inspired by you because what I see listening to you is you found your voice, your, because of your experience with diversity you're going out and meeting people 
in this community and in the little micro communities within Utah and in the world and or in the nation with the work that you do and giving finding new voices and helping give them a platform being a voice for them and then looking for these perspectives in order to help kind of make a shift in what's going on and what you see coming down the road. So for me, that's inspiring. I just appreciate being able to hear these voices, these perspectives that you're sharing. Oh, you're so kind, Angela. I never thought of it that way, to be honest with you. Uh, and that's what I'm hearing from you. And it's, it's, it's inspiring. Is there anything that you would like to share? Just kind of, we've talked about advice that you would give you know, especially young people walking into the business world. You, we've talked about some of those things. Is there anything else that you would add or things you wish people knew or just the forward um, facing? I think so. I There's something I wish people knew. So I think there, I think like, um, like Jonathan mentioned, I think a lot of people want to, I want to try, they want to be inclusive, they want to do it. But sometimes it's like just getting one person, like one new person that you wouldn't have there. Sometimes it's not enough. So um, there's a lot of talk about diversity and equity, but lately one of the talks is about belonging. And I think that's a huge key. So it's a, it's um, one of the examples I hear is, it's one thing to be invited to the dance, but it's something else to be asked to dance. Mm. And, that's, and that's the key that I think sometimes is missed is that when you know it's not just and that's one of the things that it's not just being in that room it's not just being part of the table it's ensuring that those voices are heard it's ensuring that they're part of the decision because you know it's daunting sometimes being like the the other the only mm -hmm. it's it can be uh scary and sometimes your voice gets um quieter or sometimes your ideas are just not heard because they are a different perspective. So I think one of the intentionalities is don't forget to like not don't forget to not just invite people to the dance, but ask them to dance. That is powerful. Well said, Sylvia. This has just been a really great conversation. It's been really wonderful to get to know you a little bit, to know more about your background. And I appreciate you sharing your experiences with us. I know at the time we're going to have to let you go here in just a minute, but before we wrap things up for today, we just wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you and find out more about your work and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Um, I think the best way to reach me is frankly via email. Uh, let me actually share my personal email. Uh, which is Sylvia, S-I-L-V-I-A, C-S in car, and then Bennett, two N's and two T's, at gmail.com. I have had actually people misspell Bennett before, which is surprising to me, <laughs> especially me. Um, uh, yeah, I used to expect them to spell, misspell my name, but never the Bennett part. Um, so I think uh, in terms of final thoughts, um, I think um, conversations are good. So uh, one of the things that um, I love about economics and I love about um, business policy and everything is people love to talk, but I think the ending thought is like, don't forget to implement. Thank you. I really insightful in terms of, from a personal perspective, what we can do, have, having these conversations and implementing and being creative and asking for asking for the perspective of the people you've mentioned that are being impacted and make an impact in the future and implementing it on organizational levels as leaders as well. And as, and, and speaking out as women and sharing that perspective is what like you're doing. So thank you. No, thank you. Thank you both.
Yes. Thanks again. And again, we encourage the audience to reach out, get connected with Sylvia. And as always, we hope everyone will stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And we hope you all have a great week. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. We hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.